Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. This is your host, Jazz Bear, and today's guest is Thomas Smith. Now, Thomas is a, a social entrepreneur, a Harley Street therapist, and an author. He has built a worldwide reputation for his powerful work. He's very passionate about mindset and the rapid change tools that help people improve their lives. And today he's going to talk about his app, Free Mind, which is focused on mindset and motivation for modern times. Let's welcome Thomas. How have you been? How's your day been so far? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's been pretty productive. Feeling pretty positive. And you? Awesome. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, been a long day. I um, injured my back, so I can't work out. So I, <laughs> I went to yoga class in the morning, early in the morning, not realizing <laughs> how much I'm going to have to stretch uh, <laughs> compared to the normal weight training, which was very, very interesting. You've been to yo- not been to yoga before? I, I did six years ago. And now, now that I know the day, days are quite long as uh, when you're working on your business, you need, you need time. Uh, so yoga, 20 minutes, does the job. It's true. How about yourself? You work out or you into fitness or? I really like yoga, I, you know, and um, I try and get outside as well. You know, it's important to get outside. I find that harder uh, in the winter months, but I know that it helps with sleep if we can get outside. And so going for a walk or a run, it's also important. Oh, awesome. Cool. And you know what? That's what we're here to talk about today, aren't we? Uh, talking about mindset and talking about, you know, you being, uh, you know, this tool that you've developed for people to use and free mind. We're going to talk about all of that. And, um, and yeah, so, so let's begin by, you know, who's Tom and, you know, let's, how, how do you introduce yourself? Sure. I let my guests do that normally because they can do way better than I can. <laughs> and I don't want to miss out on anything. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And, um, and so I've been absolutely obsessed for the last 20 years about the human condition, what happiness really is, where it comes from, and what we can do to improve our lives in the most effective and, uh, and uh, yeah, positive ways. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in the quick, the real and lasting transformations, but the quick tools. I've been really passionate about yeah, rapid change like technology because I personally, I know it works because I personally experienced an extraordinary epiphany. And in that moment, my life was completely changed. And so I know it's possible. So since then, I've been kind of reverse engineering what happened to me and seeing if I can kind of create epiphanies for other people. So in kind of practical work terms, I've got a private practice on Harley Street. I've been published as an author twice. Um, I've brought out this mindset app called FreeMind. But really, underneath it all, the engine in what I do is I'm just absolutely fascinated with epiphanies, what makes them happen and what makes them last. How did you get into it? What was your story? So before you became a Nali Street therapist and you, know, you, you, you had your practice and before you got really into this mindset. So what, what were you doing before? Yeah, so I was, I, you know what, I was, I've always been into pleasure, right? And so I'm still into pleasure. I'm still seeking happiness, but now I'm seeking it, I think, in the right way. So before I was, yeah, just a confirmed hedonist, you know, I was a nightclub promoter and put on dance parties and didn't work very hard, didn't like to work too hard, didn't really care about anything, didn't really have any belief in anything and um, was just trying to do the minimum and have the most fun, you know. But in my epiphany, I realized, wow, whilst that seemed like fun, it wasn't really natural happiness. Right. What was the kind of, kind of telltale signs of, you know, you saying, okay, I'm doing all of this it's fun for a little while, but not, not what I'm seeking. 
because we, we, what tends to happen with most people is we tend to go on this roller coaster and we, we never want to get off. The idea of getting off that roller coaster is quite scary. Yeah. Whether that's a job, whether that's a habit, a bad habit, whether that's you know, to do with food, exercise, whatever that might be. Well, what was it for you thinking, okay, I've been on this ride for a while now. It's about time I get off. Yeah, well, as I say, for me, it was different. You know, for me, I, was, I thought I was, I was really happy. I thought, well, I thought I was happy. And then I had this one experience where everything changed. And, um, and in that instant, I realized that I had been operating with a lot of fear, a lot of fear. And I, you know, if you'd given me a test, I would have scored highly. I would have felt confident. I would have marked myself as confident, I, you know. But actually, I was held back by conditioning. I was held back by identity. I was held back by what my parents thought I should do or held back by the rebellion that I was that I was in the act of creating in my life against what they thought I should do. I had all sorts of unresolved emotional content in me that was actually driving a lot of dysfunction. Right. And then what was the point of transitioning of going, what was the first step you took out to going, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Was it more sort of you got into meditation first or uh, you met someone? What, What was that epiphany? What was that point? So the epiphany was, so I was, it was two days after the millennium. And um, I'd gone to India to party. Uh, you know, some people go to India for spiritual purposes, right? Not me. You know, in the 90s, the best parties that happened were in Goa. And it was the millennium. And so I was committed to going there for like what I thought was going to be the best millennium celebration ever. And I think it probably was. It was amazing. And there was this incredible party on the top of Bagator in North Goa. And I had this amazing time. But whilst I was partying there, I saw that there was this... Indian holy man who was witnessing the whole thing just sat on a chime mat for hours you know and whilst I was dancing I was like what's what must he be thinking this guy you know he was just taking it all in and he seemed to be mesmerized by the whole this crazy like psych- psychedelic trance kind of rave you know so, so this is going on in a, in a club or is that going on a beach or no it's kind of it was on the top of a hilltop so it's, it's picture it's like it's an enclosure, but it's outside. Right. So you've got palm trees and the night sky and, you know, it was amazing. And this guy's just sitting there, is he, is he in a monastery or is he just sitting there by himself? He's or? just sat on a chai mat by himself. You know, he's a wandering baba, you know, one of these swamis. There's like 15 million of these guys. Now, you know, I was brought up as an atheist and I was brought up to feel sorry for anyone with faith. But this guy, you know, this model, you know, is like if you operate from truth and love, you'll be provided for, you'll be taken care of, right? And I thought, well, I, I respect their commitment. But I thought to myself, it would only be sustainable in a country like India that has a lot of this faith, right? And I was respectful of it, but also dismissive, right? And anyway, after partying really, really hard, I went home and I thought I was going to sleep for a week. But where, where I was staying was just around the corner from this party. And in the morning, I woke surprisingly, actually, only after about four or five hours. And I felt fresh absolutely fresh. I now realize I was just deeply present. And I couldn't believe it. I could still hear that this party was still going on. You know, it's like now January 2nd, right? It's the morning of January 2nd. And I'm like, I've got to see who's still dancing, right? That's crazy, right? So I went, I also had to get my motorbike because I'd let, you know, you park up and it's like, when you leave, there's like a thousand motorbikes that all look the same. So it was like, you know, I should go and get my bike. It's a bit early for breakfast. I'll go have a cup of tea. I'll see who's still dancing. You know, I'll go back to the kind of the crime scene, you know. And, uh, but to my amazement, that guy was still there. 
he was still there. Wow. And um, it was an interaction that I had with him, which changed my life. <laughs> totally changed my life. Can you share what, what that was? Yeah, sure. I, like, I don't know how much detail, or we've got time, right? So I don't know, you know, but basically <laughs> I was there and I was kind of watching people dancing and, and I was looking at this guy and at first glance, he looked kind of um, old. He was definitely weathered, he's slightly grayed. But actually, when I kind of looked properly, I was like, he's not that old underneath that. He looks weathered because he's obviously sleeps outside and he's wandering around and, you know, in principle, these guys have no possessions. The idea being if they have no possessions, they have no, no politics, right? Therefore, they can speak the truth. They have no fear of consequence. They can be these vessels. And this idea of the begging bowl is a complete confusion. They're not going around begging. They are a blessing, right? And therefore, if you would have some time with them, you would gladly give them food because it would be such a blessing to share time with them because they're a vessel of truth and love. This is the idea, right? I thought this was sweet, but I didn't think there was any kind of basis to it, right? Anyway, I saw him and I felt unbelievably compelled to go and connect with him, like powerfully. Now, at the time, I wasn't used to that stuff. Now, I know intuition and I know to follow it. And I follow that stuff all the time. And it usually leads to great things. But at that time, I had no idea what the hell that was. I was like, I even wondered if I fancied him because it felt like I fancied him, but I didn't have the intelligence or the social (laughs) or the spiritual intelligence to understand it was just the universe compelling me to go over there. Which is ridiculous because, you know, yeah, he's like a, like a, looked like an old skinny Indian man wrapped in cloth, you know. Anyway, so I'm wondering, what the hell do I, why do I want to go over there? And I thought maybe he's going to, you know, look into my eyes and tell me something wise and, you know, or, you know. I, and I was like, really? I don't think it's that. And I was like, yeah, I had all these different ideas. And then part of my soul, I realized now, said, why don't you just go over there? He's done a chime out. You can sit down, you know. So I was like, oh, okay. So I went over there and as I kind of approached and I sat down on this chair mat, he did that beautiful kind of hello just by wobbling his head slightly, you know, didn't say anything. And I ordered myself a cup of tea from the chai wala, you know, and these women are usually round and friendly and welcoming and really, you know, they, they'll sell you tea and they've got various biscuits and, you know, they make up their little stalls around the edge of the party, right? This woman was gnarly. I guess she'd been up for days, right? She was not that smiley. Anyway, I sat down there for a while and I'm trying to muster some way of connecting with him or talking to him. Uh, you know, my Hindi was like, I like, know like one phrase in Hindi. So it was going to be very limited conversation. And I was like, I don't know. And I couldn't do it. I, we smiled at each other and laughed because there were a few people kind of playing on the dance floors and we kind of caught an eye and smiled. But, but so I didn't know why I was there, but I felt I was meant to be there out of nowhere, this chai wala starts having a crazy go at him in Hindi, like properly. And most people, you, they treat these guys with respect, but she was like really digging him out. I couldn't say, I didn't know what she was saying, but I got a sense. She was saying something like, you've been here for days. You've had 10 cups of tea. You guys notoriously don't keep any money on you. You have no possessions. Everybody's leaving. What the hell are you going to pay your bill? That's my sense. That's what I think she was saying. Nice. Now, funnily enough, he managed to silence her without saying a word. Again, he just wobbled his head slightly and smiled. And she kind of snorted and kind of carried on. I'm like, this dude is fascinating. And then, and then it struck me. I knew something in my heart more than I'd known anything ever in my whole life. I was not there to talk to him. I was not there to get wisdom from him. I was there to pay for his tea. 
I right. knew it. Like I knew it more than I could have known anything ever. It was so strong. I was like, oh, but I didn't want praise. I didn't want thanks. I wasn't looking for some kind of charity goodwill hit. It was functional. It was egoless. It was just what needed to happen. And so um, I smoked cigarettes then. Um, yeah, it's like 20 years ago, I don't anymore. And I, I folded up enough money for like, I don't know, I like five pounds, enough money for like 50 teas, you know, and some biscuits, whatever he might have done, you know. And I, and I put it into a box of cigarettes and I was able, whilst he wasn't looking, to put it kind of in front of him in a way where he would notice it in a moment. But once I was gone, I paid for my tea and I left. And then I, I left that there for him. And as I walked away, suddenly it dawned on me that this system, this model, this universe, this idea that I thought was the pathetic but sweet idea that if you work for truth and love, you'll be provided for, it had just been proven by what just happened. And in that instant, everything changed. So people, I tell people I had a massive epiphany because I had a connection with an Indian holy man. And they're like, oh, did he say something amazing? I'm like, no, I, watched, I witnessed an argument. <laughs> I witnessed an argument. But in that moment, I can't express to you how powerful that moment was because I thought it was the most amazing news. So, oh my God, this is a loving, connected, interconnected field of consciousness that will reward you and look after you if you come from truth and love, right? I was like, that is not how I used to live. And so it was good news and I thought it was hilarious. And so I started to laugh uncontrollably, but in exactly the same measure. I, um, I, I felt so unbelievably sad about how I'd lived my whole life, disconnected from spirit and disconnected from beauty and disconnected from love and truth. And, and that just made it so hard. I'd worried. I was just like, life was sweeter and more beautiful than I imagine. And so in that same instant, I, um, I burst into tears and I was both control uncontrollably laughing and uncontrollably crying at the same time. Now, if you'd looked at me, I would have looked like I was having a complete meltdown, you know? And I guess I was. And I quickly kind of got out of there because whatever was happening was embarrassing, but I didn't want it to stop. And I found my motorbike and I drove up Vagator Hill, which was just, you know, like half a mile away. And I drove up to the top of the hill, laid my bike against the slope of the hill and sat on top of that hill surrounded by sea and palm trees. And I completely melted and um, connected to a complete state of oneness. And like, I was f like all the fear that had been operating in me disappeared. And I felt ultimately full of the most richest happiness, pure unconditional love. And I felt that I was ultimately connected to all things, all beings at the same time. And it was just like, and that was it. My old business evaporated away. I the, like the, pretty much the first thing I did after I finally got breakfast and I bought a crappy like kids journal like a cartoony kid's journal and furiously wrote what I'd learned, you know, like two and a half thousand words poured out in about like half an hour. And then I'd sent an email, literally found an internet cafe found, and sent an email to my business partner. It was like, it's over. Like I've, like I've discovered real happiness and now I want nothing more than to work out what the hell that is and how to, sh how to spread the news about that. Now, that was 20 years ago. And when I first started trying to talk about happiness and mindset and the fact you don't need to be afraid. Everything's beautiful. Just be, be a more loving person. You'll be looked after by the law of this amazing universe. My friends thought I'd gone crazy, like properly crazy. And I don't often tell this story. So I'm, you know, I'm trusting where it's coming out now because it's easily misinterpreted. And I heard from other friends that those other friends had said that I'd found God and I'd gone mad. Most people do that when you come back from, uh, especially from a place like India or somewhere along those lines, you, you know, you come back and you're in this 
you've gone spiritual all of a sudden and you've lost yourself. And, well, it's just a phase, it'll go away. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's happened. I've heard a lot of stories around that. And people have quit their businesses and they've made major changes and for the good. Most of the time, almost most of the time is for the good. I think, Sorry, yeah, carry on. No, I think, you know, I think, I think it's, so, it's so easy, you know, to really cause trouble within your family because you, these things are unprocessed. And I didn't have a spiritual training. I didn't have a guru. I didn't have a cultural context to understand it. And so I was a bit wild and wide-eyed about it, you know? And so I did ruffle a few feathers unnecessarily, but not as many as most. I mean, I, a lot of times I didn't really talk about my, what happened because I didn't want to scare people, but still I was so enthusiastic, you know, so excited and so loved up, you know, it was, and it lasted, you know, it lasted for a very long time. Uh, it's still, you know, to some degree, it's still, you know, it's still, still going. But in that time, what I got really serious about, what I became obsessed with was two things. One, how do we experience that natural happiness naturally, organically, you know? But the other thing, as I said, is like that epiphany, whilst I did witness that argument and that tipped me over, I had been prepared. There were a few things people had said in the two weeks running up to that. There's a couple of things I read in books. I'd had some really good conversations with my friend. You know, I'd, I'd been primed. And so my private practice with people is I've spent the last 20 years gathering the tools and techniques and ideas and stories and insights that enable people to go, huh, oh, maybe, maybe focus, you know, so many people right now are putting their happiness on hold because they're making their success their first priority because they know they'll be successful and then they can be happy. And it's like, that doesn't work that way. Is that primarily, uh, who, you, who do you primarily work with? Is it more entrepreneurs, more career-focused people, or people in employment? I mean, it, it, it varies. You know, for me, I trust that whoever kind of hears my story or hears, you know, it's a variety of people will be drawn to me. I, I spent years kind of doing one-off fixes for people who've got anxiety or depression or are struggling with habits. And um, now, most of the time, I, look, I work with people who kind of want to take their life to the next level. And so I look at every area of their lives. I'm interested in people who really want to up-level their life. So they're kind of, you know, they'll kind of do a three-month process with me as opposed to kind of a handful of sessions to fix the problem. I'm more interested. And so that does tend to be more business owners and entrepreneurs, mainly because a quadrant of that is helping them make more money. So, so within that, it's very easy to justify the fees I charge because they can actually see, well, I've worked with him and I've, you know, I've made more than six grand as a result of working with them. So it's, you know, it's, it's really affordable to pay for those fees. Yeah. I mean, a, a healthy entrepreneur is a wealthy entrepreneur. That's, 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 that's the way I look at it. Um, I mean, if you can't think clearly, if you can't be yourself, um, and if you're ch chasing that dollar, it, that comes across, you, you know, towards your service, towards everything, and everything is measured with that. But when you get, give that little bit extra, when you give all of you, it just changes the game. It really does. I couldn't agree more. And it's, and it's so much, yeah, it's about, it's about physical health, but about emotional health, you know, and it's having that contribution and joy where we know by being free, by being happy, and even if we're just like gunning to make loads of money, but on the basis that that creates freedom for us to like really enjoy being who we are. It's like have values built in whatever you're doing. It's fine to want to make loads of money. It's totally fine. But it's like, don't sacrifice your happiness to do that. Because one, it probably won't work. And two, if it does work at the end of it, you'll be miserable anyway. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're kind of missing the point. And then how, how did the, um, you know, the Free Mind Project, how did that come about? 
what was the idea behind it and what it could achieve and how is it kind of perhaps different from other meditation apps? Yeah. Well, so in principle, I, I kind of, after that kind of breakthrough, I spent six years or so just working individually with people, engineering epiphanies, getting, giving them paradigm shifting moments, getting them to think differently about what career they're following and overcoming problems. And it was very much just one-on-one at the coal face helping individuals. But over a period of time, I got a little bit tired hearing the same kind of story. It doesn't mean I got bored of my clients. I'm passionate about helping individuals. But I I guess I got sad and frustrated about hearing over and over again about uh, dysfunctional parenting, which lacked emotional intelligence and lacked unconditional love, didn't have enough expressions of care, not enough hugs, not enough, you know, like too much pressure to perform, right? And then there was education, an education system that brutalizes people. It doesn't empower them, often rips the confidence out of people. You know, you drop off your happy-go-lucky, sunshiny five-year-old in the British education system, and at 18, you inherit a neurotic drunk. No kidding, right? It doesn't, it doesn't create freedom, right? It creates fear and entrapment, yeah. right? And, and now riddled with debt. So even if people want to live a free life, they have to go and play a good, be a good boy and girl because they need to pay off these huge debts. So they're, you know, they're a neurotic drunk and in debt, um, which is not a great set of ingredients for freedom. And then you have the workplace, which in the main are brutal. They're not empowering. They're not inspiring. They're not brilliantly ethical. And so I, I just, I just like, you know what? I'm tired of dragging people out the river and resuscitating them. I want to go upstream and see who's chucking them in the river in the first place. And so I got really passionate and created a social enterprise called the Free Mind Project, which um, was then looking at what can we do to create systemic change? And I'm still really passionate about that. I'm passionate about educating parents on unconditional love and positive relating and taking the pressure off their kids and, you know, having real values. Most parents don't realize the best thing you can do to parent well is to make sure there's a smile on your face when you come home from work make work look good, you know, enjoy your life, show your kids that it's good to live well, you know, it's, that's a key thing. But also still passionate about helping businesses be ethical employers and really passionate about putting empowerment tools into schools, which I do. And so, you know, but where it got really exciting for me was realizing that um, when you combine meditation and music with a very strong intention, people are able to do really, really powerful things with their own mind with their own mindset. And so I, I've always been frustrated that for change to happen, it would always be dependent on a gifted facilitator or an expensive trainer or a, a, you know, a skilled therapist or a skilled teacher. And it's like, that's not scalable. It's either expensive or they just aren't enough for them to go around or both really. And so for the last 15 years, I've been really obsessed with uh, sy- systems of change, which are self-led, so self-management care systems. And so FreeMind started as a therapist replacement toolkit, recordings that would take you on journeys to fix your emotional problems. That was 15 recordings, but now it's a library of 280 recordings. So there's recordings there to help you sleep, recordings there to help you be better at work, recordings there to help you uh, be more, more powerful, more peaceful, to have better spiritual development. It's a whole bunch. And so it's now not just about fixing problems or you can do that, but it's also about like being your very best. And so these last few years, that's kind of my favorite tool for creating massive global change because it's all automated. It's highly affordable. And we've designed it to be really good fun because it's all set to really beautiful music. 
And then how do you kind of, uh, uh, you know, how, how does it differ from something like, you know, there's, there's other apps like Meditate and Headspace and all of these yeah. other apps which have programs in it that allow that. So how does it differ from that? Yeah, that's a good question. So Headspace is a very, very brilliant at mindfulness. Very brilliant at mindfulness. It's all about being mindful in your relationship or being mindful at work, all these things. Now, they've added more things there to give you more tools, but it's still very much about get present and trust that with presence, you improve everything. And that is true. That's really true. And with that awareness, you can be more spontaneous, you can be more resilient. Huge science, evidence-based benefits of mindfulness. And you can do way more than just that with meditating. You can get in and you can do deep healing on some of your most painful wounds. You can also learn how to get into flow states for performance. You can also, with advanced meditations combined with music, you are able to access unbelievable states of connected, exquisite bliss. Our headspace is not getting anywhere near that level of depth. And so for me, the, the main thing that we use, which makes it really powerful, is one, we're doing more advanced techniques and um, giving people more profound healing tools. But it was when I started working with an amazing um, film composer called Mike Trim. Uh, because I was using music in my work a lot, but I was playing different pieces of music to evoke emotion. But when I started working with a film composer, then we were able to create film scores so that as I'm taking you on a journey, maybe I want you to feel just a little bit concerned about living your life the way that it is. And so I'll talk for a moment about if you don't change, then you're likely to have that feeling of really missing out on what's possible for you and and then a few moments later, I might start inspiring you about what's amazing about creating change. And, and what working with a film composer does is he creates this emotional soundtrack, which steers you. So it massively amplifies the motivation and the inspiration. And um, it's taken us a long time to work out how to do that well. And so there's, there's quite a few meditations apps that use music, but nowhere near the level of heart and tech we've put into it. I mean, Lots of them are just using keyboards with synthesized sound, for instance. Everything we do is a natural sound. It doesn't mean it, it sounds digital at times, almost like dance music in certain places when we're doing uplifting stuff. But every, every original sound is, uh, is an organic vibration of something that exists naturally. And you, you might not hear the difference, but you feel the difference. Wow. And then do you have to use it for a certain amount of time to see any changes or a minimum certain amount of time? Or is it, you know... The longer, the better, really. It's, it's like you know, going to the gym. You know, that's a, you know, I love your question. It's brilliant. Um, one of the biggest challenges we have at FreeMind is the first time people use FreeMind, it works really well. But what they don't realize is that if they use it consistently for a month, then what opens up, all of the anchoring in the music that we've created means that these work, they work cumulatively. So we actually start to build a momentum. And when you start to see, oh, I, I am feeling more creative. I noticed I was more kind. All right? You're noticing these improvements. When you clock that the app is creating that with you and for you, then your unconscious starts to go, okay, this is working. So then when I'm next giving you suggestions and you're listening to that piece of music, the next time it works more powerfully. And so one of the challenges is I quite often get emails from people that are like, oh, I used your app and I really liked it. And I thought it was really good. I thought it was like more powerful than the ones that are out there. Thank you so much. And then six months later, I'm getting like, oh my God, I like, I listened to it a bit. I liked it. I thought it was quite cool, quite sweet. But this last month I've listened to it every day and I cannot believe how powerful it is. It's blowing my mind. So it's, it's a little tricky for us with our marketing 
And it's not like, it's a slightly tricky thing to say, hey, do this, do this for a month constantly and you'll notice a massive improvement. But that's essentially the truth. It is like going to the gym, but um, the gym doesn't feel good straight away. Whereas people put on free mind, they like it straight away. And they think, oh, well, that's, that's the benefit. It's like, well, no, it can, it can do a lot more. And what kind of resistance did you have, you know, with yourself and people around you when you told them, you know, I had this idea, I want to build an app that allows people to do this. I'm sure that, you know, as soon as you start, you know, with an idea like that, you look around, there's other apps and you're like, who am I to do this? And then secondly, you know, what, what do other people think? And, uh, you know, what were some of the challenges that you came across? Thank you. So, I mean, I've been trying, when I cracked this, I was like, oh my God, people can do really deep level healing on themselves, right? When I was bringing it out as a therapist replacement toolkit, I was like, I've cracked it. The, the world's going to fall at my feet, you know? And, <laughs> and I believed it. I really believed it, you know? And it was like, it was so painful. And this is included, I mean, one example was I, I wanted to get it put into prisons because I thought, wow, they need help in there, you know? And it took us nine months yeah. to get clearance, to get past the psychology team and for everyone to feel that it was safe and and they were not helpful. I've got to be honest, I'd love to say they were, but they weren't. They were, I don't know if they were threatened by it or didn't, you know, it was like the governor was into it, but the, they did not make it easy. Even like, you know, they were going to put up posters so that the prisoners could be given a chance to come to a welcome meeting where I was going to present what the recordings are like. This was before it was in, and they were getting branded MP3 players with it preloaded with all the recordings. And they were like, oh, no one's going to come. I'm like, well, well, I need to let them know. Can we put posters up and so that they can see and then come? And they're like, yeah, we'll put them up for three weeks. They put them up for two days. And then we had like 40 people come. Anyway, so at the end of that, we, they were independently um, assessed by an external research company. And that company found that 85% of the women said that the recordings had changed their life for the better. And so then I went back to the prisons. I was like... This is a great result. You know, we're thrilled, you know, hoping that they might be willing to license the recordings, you know, create a deal, you know. And they were, they were like, oh, well, we haven't seen much tangible improvement in their behavior. I'm like, you know, they're in a cell like 23 hours a day and they're still in prison, right? But they feel better, you know, less likely to commit crime in their, in their description. They're like, ah. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Fine. No fee. We'll give it to you for free. I just care. And they're like, oh, yeah, but then we have to pay two pounds for the MP3 players. Yeah, you know, I don't know if there's a budget, but it was just, it was one example of um, something that was pretty heartbreaking when to get a result like that. And there've been a, so many along the way where the response to the product has always been great, but necessarily turning that into a viable commercial product has been really hard. So we tried for quite a few years to sell to business because we have a, a corner of the app, the corner of the recordings are all about being amazing at work and um, great for people, general professionals or anyone in a good job, but there's a whole band for making you really awesome at customer service and then a whole set of management training recording. And um, whenever we put them into a company, the response was amazing. And often the HR people would be like, yes, love it. Because for them, it was cheaper than training. Having people leave the office and have a training day and all that's expensive. They loved it. So we get these yeses from the personnel and the HR departments. But then when it came to the financial director, he'd be like, people are going to, what? Listen to guided meditation at work. You what? You know, it was just, it was a hard sell. But when we did it, it worked amazingly. Companies loved it. 
but it just broke my heart, you know. I just and you know, it caused the breakdown of my first marriage because I just kept saying, "Any minute now, any minute now, any minute now," and it just was really, really hard on us financially. And because I, I, I had the, my social change hopes, but I was like, you know what? Let's just bring in some big business contracts, and that will bankroll all of our social change movements, you know. So I focused on the corporates. And it wasn't like we were getting laughed out of meetings, you know. It was like meetings with Carphone Warehouse, Tesco's, Nokia. They went well. We were like, it was a lot of yeses and then finally no's. And these were like million pound training contracts. Wow. Okay. What was the turning point? So two years ago, I was approached, two and a half years ago now, I guess, I was approached by a client of mine who's a big Headspace fan, the main competitors. And he was like, I listen to Headspace. I really like Headspace. But now I've just listened to your recordings. Your recordings are better. How come you're not like as big as Headspace? And I was like, well, I don't have a marketing budget. And marketing is not really my strong suit. And so he was like, oh, okay, hold on. And he arranged a meeting for me a month later. And I met with a guy called Delete. Uh, been very involved with bringing Call of Duty to the world. And marketing. Yeah. And I was like, man, I don't, I'm not a gamer, but I've heard of that game. So that's a good thing. And they were like, we love your app. We're going to raise funds and we want to make more recordings because at the moment it's like, it's about fixing problems. We want to make it about a mindset. Yeah. So it's all about having an amazing day. And that You can have a section for fixing problems, but let's not make it for weak people. Let's make it for amazing people that, that want to have an amazing life. Let's repurpose that. Yeah. Um, and we'll, We'll, so let's build the app that's widen the library from 60 recordings to like 250 and it's now 280 and we'll market it. And so for me, I was like, that's amazing. So for the last two years, I've been in the studio making incredible recordings with amazing musicians and building this gorgeous app. And it's available on both uh, iTunes and, and App Store as well? Yeah, 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 both. Yeah, Apple and Android. Um, but I'd love to tell you, it's just been plain sailing. I'd love to tell you that it's just been a walk in the park. But, you know, it's a very, very established industry with two major players, Headspace and Calm. Now, we see them as having trailed, you know, blazed a trail for us and converted the masses to the value of meditation mindfulness. But they are prominently the market leaders. And I think where we've gone wrong in our strategy is we've kind of turned up like, hey, we're a meditation app and we're better than them because we've got really cool music. So we've turned up in what marketers would call red water, right? So the sharks are already tearing into the flesh, right? It's blood in the water, right? But actually what we're now recognizing is we're not actually a meditation app. We're a mindset app that uses meditation to help set yourself up for the day. That's a different thing. What we're doing is more advanced. It's not just about stress relief or going to sleep. This is about setting yourself up in such a way that you can smash your day. And you've got loads of force. It's getting in the zone. And so we're now repurposing how we're talking about what we're doing. But that's been an expensive mistake. Uh, that, that's, to be honest, that's, that's what we like. I mean, these are the stories that we like, you know, hearing that's on this podcast. Like. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all about, at the end of the day, you've got to remember that, you know, you just shared your story and you were saying, uh, how you went to India and then you turned around and said, that's not mm. for me. All of these mistakes, you know, at some point when we connect the dots, it starts to make sense. I'm glad that happened. So, you know, had you, had you been successful, you just would have been just another meditation app competing with, you know, now you're looking at it as a different perspective. It's a different app. It does different things to, maybe it's using some parts of, of uh, you know, other apps, but it's completely different to with that. And then that's, that's amazing. You know, that's an amazing story. I actually thought it might, you might've had a plane selling 
<laughs> easy job to get it up and running, but clearly not. <laughs> no, it was, you know, I think it's been hard for my investor as well because he, he was like, I'm going to put 125,000. Uh, let's go out and raise another 250 grand. Uh, that's going to you know, enable us to create loads of recordings, create a really good app, and that will give us a good couple of hundred grand for marketing. And he just went to his friends and families, you know, and he's a wealthy guy and he's got wealthy people. Um, but he loves the product and just felt it would be fairly easy to compete. But he did a heart-based decision. I'm glad he did. And I believe it's going to come good. But, but when he went to his network to raise that extra kind of 250K, we, kind of, we only raised 120, which was enough to build it and make the recordings, not enough to really have a big fat marketing budget. Now, I'm a bit relieved. Because actually, I think we were going to, if we had those deep pockets then, uh, and it's not super deep in the world of launching a global product, but you know, I think we would have wasted a lot of that trying to compete in that red water. And now we've got a blue ocean we're going to stand in. There isn't a mindset, mindset app out there. And so now we can repurpose our messaging and hopefully raise some more funds and, and then kind of go at it with a better perspective. But it's been very painful because I, I know that you shouldn't just expect things to work. But so many things lined up with this one, which were kind of magical. I was like, ah, oh, I've paid my dues. I'm on my way. It's going to be sweet sailing. Now, the, I, I believe I'm still on my way. Like, I'm proud of what we've done and I believe in it. I feel, I feel confident in what we're going to achieve. But my God, it, you know, it, these things aren't meant to be easy. They, they grow you personally and they challenge you. And it's like, if I'm going to lose my faith now, it's like, well, who, how can I be the mindset guy if a few setbacks is going to break my heart, you know? There you go. You answered your own question. You know, you said, yeah, it's not good for me, but that's what these things do to you. And my whole philosophy, you know, the whole name of the podcast and everything I do is, is you've got to be brave enough. You've got to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I'm, gl- I'm glad you've, uh, you've stuck by it. And then, you know, you're still carrying on in doing this. So we're now coming towards the end of the show. And um, where are you taking your ship now? Where is this going? Where do you want to take it? What do you want to do with it? Well, you know what? It's two things, right? One, I realized this is probably going to be a slightly slower burn, right? We've got to repurpose. We've got to think about this organically. I was also hiding a bit. I was like in the studio, being the creative, leaving the marketing to other people. And it's like, really, it's my voice. It's my writing. It's my principles. It's my practice. It's built on the free mind system that was the book that I wrote in 2013. And it's like, I have to step forward and, and be, be the figurehead of this organization. And I'm excited about that, but that's a stretch. And so I've been doing that more and it's already, it's, it's already showing really interesting results just with what I'm putting out and how regularly I'm adding content and adding value and taking my place as an authority and also speaking up about things I feel passionate about, the over-medicalization of, of emotional conditions and, you know, medicating, you know, sadness. And I'm, I'm becoming more vo- vocal about things and prepared to ruffle a few feathers. But also part of that is I also have a therapist training academy where I train traditional therapists or coaches or facilitators who believe that it takes a long time for clients to change. There are really six powerful techniques of transformation that are, the app is built around, but I'm now really passionate and I'm refocusing on that at the same time. I was going to kind of let that fall away because I was focusing on the app, but actually the world needs a new model of therapy. And so I'm really passionate about divi- distilling these six techniques that therapists can use and coaches can use and facilitators can use that will massively amplify their work, accelerate it lead to great epiphanies that will change their clients' lives. So for me, it's like, you know what? I'm diversifying. I've not got all my eggs in one app basket. That's not 
it makes it makes it hard to sleep at night. So I'm I'm being a bit wise. I've I've got you know I've got at least two pies I have fingers in, and I'm still working my private practice too. So in that sense, it's like I'm still utterly committed to making the app work, but I'm also taking that kind of pressure off it, giving it a bit of space to breathe, and um, allowing it to. Um, to find its way. We're still looking for some really good strategic partnerships. So I'm, I was recently been really impressed by the George Clooney tequila story. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, very briefly, I know we're coming to the end of the show, but um, basically George Clooney a few years ago, the story they kind of put out there was his accountant said, man, you're drinking so much of this tequila, you should buy the company, right? And uh, mm. they were importing <laughs> it. And so him and a friend did that. They bought this company, right? And, um, and he didn't need to do very much. People are like, oh, I want to drink the George Clooney tequila. I mean, that makes it a strong brand, right? But I don't know after how many years, but it wasn't very many. Him and his business partner sold it to Diageo for a billion dollars. He walked away wow. with $500 million. He made more money from that tequila company than every one of his films and TV shows combined. Wow. I know. So for me, I know there are celebrities out there who've got a certain position right? And they're currently monetizing it with each film or each TV show. And I'm like, no, if you have a platform and you don't want to bring bloody alcohol to the world, you want to bring something of value to the world, well, we have a product that if you get behind it, it'll be a bit, it will compete with Headspace. It'll be a billion pound company easily. The, the world of mindset management and mindfulness and meditation, it's just beginning. It's a massive market. So for me, I'm relaxing a bit and I'm hunting for strategic partners. Awesome. Well, if anyone's listening, anyone's interested, how can they find you and connect with you, ask you questions? Absolutely. I'm really, you know, I'm out there right now. I'm on Facebook. Uh, so you can find us by searching for FreeMind in the app stores or freemindhub.com will we'll bring you to where I am. Awesome. Any final words before we say goodbye? Just a thank you uh, for having me on the show. And I really love what you're doing. And I think, you know, helping people share their stories, if, you know, it's not meant to be easy and remembering that because otherwise when entrepreneurs hit snags and it's hard, they think about giving up. It's like, if you can expect snags, then when they happen, you, you know, you have the courage to stand up again. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazbearaurora.com, that's www.jazbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also... Um, Go and take the Escape the 9 to 5 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.